Welcome to Thrive, Mental Health and the Art of Living Free. I'm your host, Melissa Clark, a professional counselor in the Dallas area with a passion for helping you overcome challenges, process painful emotions, and understand your God-given identity. Thank you so much for being here. I believe listening to this podcast will leave you feeling excited, educated, and empowered. This week on Thrive, we are talking with Amy Seifert about making changes to your diet, your spiritual diet. Amy helps us see that we are consuming, we're filling up, we're taking in, but at the end of the day, our souls are still starving. So many of us feel dissatisfied and empty emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. Our lives are rushed, overflowing, and we're low on joy, fulfillment, peace, and purpose. In this episode, we are exploring what spiritual malnourishment is and how to recognize it. We're talking about practical, tangible ways to nourish your soul. We explore the importance of creating habits and why starting slow is so important. We're talking about shame and how it's keeping you disconnected and why community is crucial for your spiritual diet. Amy Seifert is the author of Grace Looks Good on You. And she's on the teaching team at Brookside Church. She's an affiliate crew staff member and a regular version Bible teacher. She loves to travel and speak. Amy is married to her college sweetheart, Rob, and they live in Bowling Green, Ohio with her three kids. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Amy. I want to welcome back to the show, Amy Seifert. Amy, welcome. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. It's so fun to chat with you. We're Instagram friends. You were on the show years ago, actually like right during the pandemic, so much going on. So it's so fun to have you back. You have a new book, Starved. Talk to us about the heartbeat behind that book and what made you want to write it? Yes. Well, it actually started under my own roof. My my oldest son, I have three kids and my oldest son was diagnosed with Crohn's disease mm. after uh, it was so rough. And after he had lost 15 pounds in six weeks, it was pretty rapid. Wow. When, um, yeah. When it all woke up and blood work and all the tests and we decided to do a drastic diet change. And after three days of a new diet change, I, we saw a, such a change. Like wow. he was nourished. He had more, yeah, more energy. And then six weeks later, he had gained his weight back. Like it was transformative, but during that time, it was one of the like most spiritually dark times of my life because I was exhausted. I was anxious. I was overwhelmed. Mm. I felt like it was all up to me to right. solve this, to put Crohn's disease into remission. And I felt like God was whispering to me, you need a spiritual diet change. Something has to change. Like You are running to Google to search for answers. And I want you to come to me. So it came out of what I saw under my own roof. And then I looked around and I felt like our culture is starving for mm-hmm. new practices, putting our phones down and picking up true connection with God and with others and just really exploring what's the plate that we have, what's on our plate and and not not add to our plate, but what can we replace with with something more nourishing? I love that. They say that as Americans, we're overfed, but undernourished. Uh, you know what I mean? With our food and our diet. And what you're saying is that we're, we're doing that with our spiritual connection and that Mm -hmm. we're spiritually malnourished. What do you mean by that term? Like, what does that look like? 
Yeah. Yes. So, you know, if someone is malnourished, they're not getting the nutrients that they need and they're starting to, to feel the effects of that. So if we're, we're spiritually malnourished, I mean, that means we're not getting what we need spiritually from, from God. So we're not, we're not being nourished um, and finding peace where there is anxiety mm-hmm. and finding integration where there is disintegration and, and finding hope where there is fear. And so where, what are we feasting on? that is actually feeding anxiety, overwhelm, and exhaustion. And I'm finding, I mean, my first chapter is about our phones because I'm a recovering phonaholic, let's be honest. I know you are so brave to share your number in the book. Eight hours and 47 minutes. It's almost like stepping on the scale and saying like how much you weigh, like how much phone time you have. I feel like there's like that same level of shame, like I mean, what's your number? What's your number? <laughs> I, I remember I hadn't, I didn't even know you could find out that information. It was years ago. And I looked, I was like, oh, like it was a spectrum. There, I also tell a time where I mindlessly was getting in the shower and was grabbing my phone right before I was going to shower. Mm. Like that is how connected I felt like I needed to be. And God really whispering, put down the phone and pick up silence, mm-hmm. which is really scary. I don't, I don't like silence. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at it. I like noise and distraction. And, but the other day, I'll tell you this, I called down to all my kids to ask them to, to do their dinner jobs, to get it all mm-hmm. going. And I called down nothing, nothing. And then I finally went downstairs and they all had headphones in. Uh-huh, they couldn't hear you. They couldn't hear me. But this is what we do to God. If I'm in front of a screen listening to all the voices in front of me, I cannot hear the voice of God. I cannot Mm. hear the shepherd's voice. And so really practice putting down all the other voices and sitting to hear God. Mm -hmm. It's a good practice. It is. It sounds so basic, but I think whenever (laughs) you get down to doing it, it's so challenging. You know, as a counselor, I hear people's stories. And I think one of the things that's so hard is whenever we're in a negative spot to do the positive thing, because to do the positive thing is so difficult. So to sit in that silence gets us back to our anxiety that we're trying to numb with the entire time. And so you talked about being in silence shape. And I think that's such a great way to look at it. Like, you know, we don't have to have like this, like hour long silence. Totally. But, But to start off with like, 30 seconds, you know, (laughs) it sounds so basic, but when it's silent, it's amazing how kind of deafening that noise, that lack of noise can be. I love what you just said about the putting in the positive and to start, you know, I'm not, let's let's not start training for a marathon here. Like let's start really small. Go for a walk. Five minutes. (laughs) Go for a walk. Five minutes of silence. Literally set your timer. and. Say, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to be, and I'm going to let myself be loved when I'm not productive as an Mm -hmm. Enneagram three (laughs) Yes, or whatever that, that fear is that you're going to. And I'm amazed at the practice of that. I remember the first time I practiced five minutes of silence, the first four minutes, I felt like this cat that couldn't find its nap spot, you know, Mm -hmm. like just kind of trying to settle in and find that last minute. I did feel a healing of the hurry in my life. Mm. Like God is in control and I can sit here and rest. Mm -hmm. That's been motivating for me to keep practicing silence. Yeah. I love that. And 
again, just going back to those small moments of taking that deep breath. And yes, I think about time and money the same way, you know, we have 168 quote hours or dollars, you know, in, in a week. And if we're spending a significant portion of that on our phones, we're not going to have what we need to invest into our lives. And we're going to be poor, malnourished in every area of our life. And so I do feel like the phone is a great place to start because it's a great place for found money. You know what I mean? Like, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where we are, we have extra time with our phone. You know, one thing I'll do with clients and myself is like, okay, what's your Instagram time? Okay. It's this amount. Okay. Cut it in half. Like don't take it away. Just cut it in half and use that other, let's say 45 minutes. Wink, wink. I mean, it's way more than 45 minutes. (laughs) We'll be, we'll be generous with that. (laughs) But if you use those 45 minutes to, you know, make your bed, have five minutes of silence, go for a walk. How much is that going to impact your spiritual health, your emotional health, your relational health? And to me, it's about building those muscles to then create that change of the starting small and allowing that small to grow big. What are your thoughts about that, Amy? Because it's so hard to start small. We despise the small things. We do. We do. And I love everything you just said. I'm like personally <laughs> nourished by what you just shared. <laughs> so good. Um, yes, I think start small is the only way to do it. I mean, Again, if you're thinking, well, I want to take up running and you feel like you have to start running, you know, four miles a day, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're failing. But if you're like, I am going to, just so you said, take five minutes or the studies show that the average American checks their phone 344 times a day. Even if we cut that in a third and what if I didn't check my phone? What if I looked at Psalm 23? A third mm-hmm. of the time. That would be a hundred over a hundred times of, of looking at God as my shepherd in a really small way. And, and that's what I want to encourage my readers. Like take a small step, five minutes at a time, 10 minutes here, little changes that have huge impact. Making mm-hmm. your bed has a huge impact on your whole room, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm huge on the small changes, which is what I try to to say, like, and to make a plan for the small change, if you want to change how you eat, you're going to have to put down carrots and apples and spinach on your meal plan for mm-hmm. your grocery list. Yeah. Just write that down and then purchase them and then put them, you know, on your plate, but it's one step at a time. You know, what I loved what you said about your own, you know, physical diet that you guys did is that you noticed a change within a few days. You yeah. didn't notice it like that moment. Oh, sure. Yes. You notice yes. it a few days later, which is still a pretty fast amount of time to notice a diet change. But mm-hmm. I think we need to allow that space. We're not going to maybe feel instantly better the first time we read Psalm 23. Right. <laughs> yes. But yes, give it a few days. Process. Give it a few days and reflect back. Can you talk about that mindful practice of like reflecting on how that change can happen? Because I feel like sometimes we we're like, Oh, that didn't work because I don't feel instantly better. And because <laughs> we're such an instant society, right? Like instant validation, you know, microwave society and to take a crockpot approach that this is going to simmer and the change will be over time. Absolutely. This is why I think journaling can be huge because you can mm. look back and you have collected evidence 
of what God has done. You know, for me, looking back six months ago, asking God to do something and to be like, oh my gosh, he worked in February and then again in March and then again in April, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not good at looking back, but how, but how good that is for us to see the good process and transformation truly being transformed over time as we renew our mind, as Romans 12, two tells us to do is so valuable, but we have to build that muscle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not practiced in the process, the slowness. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sad, isn't it? I feel like we just keep getting like faster and faster and our souls are so hurried and rushed. Uh-huh. That's even take the time to journaling for a lot of people. They're thinking, I don't have, I'm listening to this as I'm washing dishes or I'm driving somewhere. Like I, I, I can't fit. The, I don't even know how to fit that in. Right. Where do I put that? Mm-hmm. I know. And what does it look like to say, what if I set my alarm for just 10 minutes earlier than mm-hmm. it was? And and commit five of those minutes to journaling and and writing out. You know, for me, journaling is huge because it's an anxiety reducer. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things and the practices I, I love, I've adapted it from an author, James Bryan Smith. Mm-hmm. But in the morning, I'll list everything I'm anxious about. Just, mm-hmm. You know, from what are we having to dinner to how am I going to have enough energy for, you know, everything I'm nervous about, anxious, overwhelmed. And then I'll go back and look and say, what can I control? What can I do about any of these? Is there anything mm-hmm. I can do? And then what's left that I can, it's absolutely out of my control. That's when I just write a prayer of God. I need you to move in my teenager's life. I can't, I can't control mm-hmm. his choices. I release how this person feels about me and their opinions because I can't control that. You know, so mm-hmm. just that practice of surrender through journaling. And then looking back and seeing what he did, it's really great. I think that's so powerful. I think anxiety has so much to do with the issue of power. Yes, and control, right? Uh-huh. And I think we try to control the uncontrollables and that we don't control the little part that's ours. I'm curious in your list, like how much of that, I'm, I'm sure it varies from day to day, but if you had to give an average of the percentage, like what part is your part and what part is God's part in terms of like those that, that those areas of anxiety? Yes. Um, it feels like 25% is mine Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and 75%, which is fun. Um, on my Instagram, I kind of wrote out, you know, our circle of control that I've seen all over the yeah, place. The, like what yeah. I, yeah. What you can control, mm-hmm. like my emotions, my reactions, you know, my feelings, but what I can't, oh my gosh, so much, <laughs> so much. Mm-hmm. And to, re- to release that and open my hands and just say like, God, this is yours. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to carry it. I can't control it. I can't shape it. I can't fix it. I can't manipulate it. I got to give it to you, Mm -hmm. you know? And maybe I have to say that two hours later because I grabbed it back. (laughs) Or 30 30 seconds later. (laughs) Exactly. And that's okay. God is not exhausted or tired about us coming to him. He loves it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when we think about the idea and the lens of control, it makes me also think about the perspective of shame because I feel yes. like as we feel like we can't control these things, it really puts us in a position of feeling powerless, which leads us feeling shameful. You have a whole chapter on shame. Talk to us about how shame impacts our connection with God and others. Absolutely. Yes. I get pretty vulnerable. I'll just share. I was um, sexually abused as a child. And I kind of locked that, that moment 
away for years and years. Um, and then it, it, it woke back up as our brains do um, when my son turned that same age. Mm-hmm. And so I had to really face what happened. And the beauty of bringing that story into the light, because our enemy loves darkness, mm-hmm. loves to say, don't share. I mean, you will be rejected if you share these things. Mm-hmm. So to bring that into the light and ask God, would you give me a new narrative? Would you give me a new nourishing narrative about how, who I am, who you are, how you see me? Mm-hmm. And lately, and I write about some different places in the book, but lately, Luke 15, verse 20, mm-hmm. I would encourage any listener to take mm-hmm. a minute looking at that verse. But this is the picture of how the God, how the Father feels about us. Mm-hmm. And there's five verbs in there I can't get over. It says that God saw his son coming mm-hmm. home, mm-hmm. just that we are seen, mm-hmm. and that he was filled with compassion for mm-hmm. his son, that his heart posture is compassion forward. And then he's running, embracing, kissing. Mm-hmm. And to really practice this, I am worthy of this posture that the father has upon me. And to really let that be the narrative. And practicing those five verbs and, and using my holy imagination to rewrite that narrative has been so healing for me. Thank you for sharing that because as we share our stories, it really does bring connection and <laughs> healing. Yes. And I think when it comes to especially sexual abuse, we're told to keep it hidden. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like keeping an infection hidden in our bodies. It begins to impact every area of our life whether or not we think about it. I call it like the leftovers in the fridge phenomena. We've all done it. You know what I mean? Like left leftovers back there. And I think some things is like leftovers with the lid off. You know what I mean? And you go back there and you're like, what (laughs) in the world is this? What is that science project? But then the leftovers begin to impact and influence the good, fresh food that's in there. And when I think about abuse, it's kind of a silly way to talk about something super serious, but I still think it gives a picture of whenever we're honest about those broken places in our life, bringing that to the front, cleaning it out with God, then we're able to really walk in more freedom and more connection. But it's so hard whenever there's something that we don't even know that's holding us back. It's holding us back. Yes. I didn't even know that that shame story had caused me to be a person. A perfectionist mm. so that I would be accepted and not rejected by everybody around me. What was that shame story without getting into the details of the abuse? <laughs> but like, what did that leave you believing about yourself and others? Well, I wanted to um, just kind of have everything together um, so that I would be acceptable to you, mm. that I would be, I really believed that in order to be loved, I had to be perfect. Wow. And that was this can, yeah, that took me a while to understand. And then realizing, oh, wait, I, that's, that's an unsustainable way to live. It's yeah. <laughs> exhausting. And that's not what God has set up for us. Mm-hmm. We're loved because we're his and we're made in his image. And he delights in us. Says Psalm 18, 19, he rescued mm-hmm. us because he delights in us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, perfectionism became a shield to keep people farther enough away. I didn't want to let people in. 
Yeah, because I think I was afraid that if I let people into the cracks in the mess and what happened, I would lose everybody. Yeah. Like I wouldn't belong, be rejected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sense of belonging is so crucial. Yes. And all of us want connection. All of God made us for connection. But that's great for it. Yeah, that shame keeps us so isolated. You talk about vulnerability being the antidote to shame. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that vulnerability looks like, especially whenever maybe we don't feel like we can be vulnerable or we don't even know how to do that? Yes. Well, and um, shout out to Brene Brown for all. I know, right? Um, vulnerability and shame. I call her Aunt Brene. Like if ever I need like encouragement, <laughs> just like pop into Audible and she's just so good. I she's love so her brilliant. so much. Yeah. I love her. And just even taking that into the spiritual space that again, um, God like Jesus is light and light is healing. Mm-hmm. Um, the enemy wants us to stay dark and small in our shame mm-hmm. and, but to bringing it to the light, but, not, but that's scary. Cause you can think, well, who do I share this with? Like, what's my grid? How do I, how do I bring this ugly, hard, shameful part of me? And so even thinking like, okay, I'm going to take my cues from the way God wrote the first way he explained himself to Moses in Exodus 34, as he said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, mm-hmm. slow to anger, abounding mm-hmm. in loving kindness and faithfulness. So I would say, find your compassion forward friend that will hold mm-hmm. your story and just say, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I would say, trust your spiritual gut. You know who could who would be compassionate to you and who like that might be re-traumatizing if I share mm-hmm. this with them. They might heap more shame on me. Mm-hmm. But I'd say trust your spiritual gut on that. And remember, I talk about this in the book, even if you share your story with someone and you, you're trusting that they're compassionate, even if they're not, God is the keeper of your soul. You're exactly. not handing them your soul. God keeps your soul even as you step out in faith for healing. But ask him, say, God, who in my life can I share this with? Or mm-hmm. is there a therapist or a counselor that you can lead me to? Because again, in the light and invulnerability is the, is the healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes our journal, like you're talking about, can be even at, at the perfect place to start. Sometimes it's just being vulnerable with ourselves. Yeah. You know what Naming I mean? Naming it to ourselves. Yeah. You know, at least having an idea of like, what what in the world is this leftover dish? E- what What is this even? What is the naming, right? Yeah. The naming. Mm-hmm. I love that to yourself. Because mm-hmm. then you have that integrated, like I'm admitting what is here and I'm not denying it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the book, you talk about Brene Brown's research about like how she says that shame, I am bad versus guilt is I did something bad. And I think whenever we're operating that shame too, it's, it's so focused on the self. Yeah. keeps us so trapped and I'm so guilty of this. Like then I'm all I'm thinking about is me, 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 but not like in a mm-hmm. fun way. <laughs> Like I'm so awesome. <laughs> yes. You know, in, I'm a, a, in a self-focus. Yeah, right? I'm an Enneagram too. And the sin of the two is pride, but it's not yes. like a fun pride. It's more of like a pride of like, I'm so terrible and I shouldn't be terrible. And so it, it's so difficult for those of us. Who, and I think at, to all of us, to some extent deal with this, like the self gets so we, we pick at ourselves so much that we don't even feel like we're worthy of connection or we're too exhausted for connection. And then yes. most of us, if nothing else, just go to our phone. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I, yes. I don't have the energy for anything. All I'm going to do is scroll Instagram or TikTok yes. or whatever it is. Yes. 
Yes. And what does it look like to think in that moment to, to even recognize I'm craving connection, but in a really safe mm-hmm. distance way. And that's yeah. on Instagram. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm hoping to sort of connect with somebody's life, comment here and there, whatever. What does it look like to, what would be the meal replacement for nourishment? I love could that. I call, you know, could I call a friend instead? Mm-hmm. Could I text somebody, a real friend? This is the moment where I could sit in silence and connect to God, but even recognizing why am I opening this app and craving connection? I'm created for that. So good. We want to belong. So what does it actually look like to do that? I love that. that again, bringing that awareness to the action. You talk about how our thoughts create feelings and our feelings create you know, actions. This is so much of the therapeutic work that I do. So yes. to me, it's like putting into practice, like looking at the action, not out of criticism, but out of curiosity. No. Like, why am I doing this? Like, what's going on? Do I want to be seen? Am I hoping to see how many likes I have? Right. Am, I, am I wanting that approval? Am I wanting that connection? And, and none of those needs are bad needs. Like God created a space for them. But I love that idea of a meal replacement, because if we're just feeding off a of junk food the whole time. it's just such a frustrating cycle. Yes. Yes. That recognizing. And I think what you just said to, to, to not, you know, judge our feelings, like, what am I feeling right now? Okay. There it is. So what's the healthy nourishment for that? Um, What's the, what's the connection piece for that? I love that. Like, and asking the question, this has been huge for me. What do I want? Mm -hmm. Jesus asked that all the time. Tell us about that, Amy, because I think a lot of us think our wants are bad and we shouldn't even think about what we want. Well, I think about the the blind man who was calling out Jesus, son of David. And and the disciples were like, ignore him, keep going. And (laughs) Jesus turns to him and says, what is it you want? And we're all reading the story and we're like, duh, Duh. he wants to be healed. (laughs) He wants to see, you know, but I think it's important that he asked him, what do you want? Name it. Like, Mm. come to me with all of your feelings and desires and say out loud, like, I want to see. And that freedom, I think, especially for women to name, what do I want? I feel like we don't have permission a lot of times Mm. to like. That feels scary. It feels scary to say, I want blank. I feel like I'm not allowed. Mm -hmm. But Jesus gives us that permission to come to him and say, I I want connection. I want healing. I want to feel whole. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't feel seen, mm-hmm. you know, to really name mm-hmm. what do you want. Mm-hmm. This is bad grammar, but I call it like, what do I want? Want? Because I think what we want in the moment is to feel yeah. better. So we go, we escape or do whatever, but what do we really want? Want? What do we desire mm. or a capital W want? I want to be, yes. I love that. I want to be seen. I want rest. And so is this action actually bringing me rest? (laughs) Is this actually bringing me connection? And I'll just speak for myself. I mean, a lot of times it's not, it feels Mm -hmm. good in the moment, but it actually leaves me more drained or less filled and nourished. Yes. And I just want to say, I think there's a place for that distraction that might get you out of a spiral, Mm -hmm. but man, it's such a fine line because that distraction becomes habit forming. Totally. And so it's, it's hard. Like, I wonder if there's an, a different way to build in. I need a distraction right now because I'm spiraling into anxious. Well, maybe I should just get up and walk around my house mm-hmm. or get outside, put my phone down <laughs> and just, but it will take some slowing down and thinking. 
and being uncomfortable and being uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm -mm. Yes. There's a, there's a little sentence in the informed consent document for people who are going to do counseling with me. And basically it's like counseling can make things worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're you're clearing out the fridge. It can feel very unpleasant. And so we don't have to do everything all at once. And I really am. And and so are you all about those like bite-sized changes, those bite-sized meal replacements, like eat, eat the carrots and the apples and go ahead and eat the cheeseburger too. Absolutely. But, but like, let, let's start filling up on, let's ha- add some nourishment and begin to rely less on this over here. And create the taste for what is good. I know that the more I drink my green smoothie, the more mm-hmm. I develop a taste for that. But mm-hmm. if I'm only eating the cheeseburgers, that's all I want. My body is conditioned to just mm-hmm. want that salt and that, mm-hmm. but it's slow. It's a slow Mm-hmm. So change a little bit at a time, mm-hmm. a little bit at a time. I love how yeah. at the end of each chapter, you offer both practices and prayers. It gives us something to do. Can you talk about some of those practices and prayers that we can, we can put those into our life. Like today, it doesn't yeah, have right to now. be like a big moment. It, it, it's a, these are, these are tangible moments that we can begin implementing. So talk to us about those, a practice or a prayer that comes to mind that could be super helpful for someone. Absolutely. I'm all about practical. I did this the other day in the car. I was driving and um, Richard Foster and his celebration of disciplines has the um, palms down, palms up. Yeah. I love that practice. one. Talk to us about that. Yeah. It's so good. Um, I was driving and I was feeling overwhelmed by what was on my calendar, what was coming up. I'm thinking I don't have <laughs> enough time. <laughs> I always, that's always my thing. I don't have enough time. And I feel like I was always like, there will be time to do what I have set out for you to do. But I want to do everything. I would do it all, right? And add more. And yes. So in the car as I'm driving, I just, I had one hand on the wheel and I took my other hand and I put a palm down. I said, God, I release my fear and anxiety about there not being enough time today. Like I just, I dropped that in in your lap. Mm -hmm. And then I turned my hand over and I said, I receive the grace to do what's in front of me. Mm -hmm. I receive that you're abundant when I have a scarcity mindset (laughs) Mm -hmm. and think that there's not enough. So yeah, that palms down, palms up exercise is helpful because it's, it's literally using my body, my mind, my emotions, connecting my soul to my, you know, I love that too. In the book, you talk about, you know, both palms open and up and Mm -hmm. down, but you Mm -hmm. were driving. So you could only do one palm. Yeah. And I love that you did what you could do. You didn't wait to get home, you went ahead and did it and it was impactful and meaningful. You did it in a safe way, but that was accessible. I think sometimes we just wait for like the stars to align to do oh. anything. And then like, so, that's just yeah. like never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I needed to be like perfect conditions, uh-huh. like all the things. Yes, the I candle, remember the, the quiet yes. chair, the coffee. My perfect pen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> In college, like feeling like I had to clean my room before I started writing a paper, and that was unsustainable because I just needed to start. And like, (laughs) yes, exactly. One hand is fine; it'll do. It's okay. Um, Yeah, and then I do love breath prayers, and I have a lot of. um, I think to just have a few words that you inhale with, and then a few words you exhale with that are connected Mm -hmm. to scripture. I mean, truly, Psalm twenty-three. I go back to it all the time. Yeah. but there's the moment of him saying in, in verse four, like, 
I will fear no evil. And there's a why there because God mm-hmm. is with me. Mm-hmm. And so for me to inhale, I will not fear and exhale because God is here. Mm-hmm. I will not fear. God mm-hmm. is here. And it just reminds me. <laughs> I just, I need to remember who God is in his character. Totally. I dive into self-sufficiency all the time mm-hmm. and think I've got to do it versus God being like, I'm here and I am all sufficient and I can help you, but mm-hmm. you got to come to me. Mm-hmm. You have to come to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't do it for us. He waits for us to ask him. Yeah. It must be very painful. I know it is for my kids when they're doing something. I'm like, if you would just ask, yes, I, I can come in you. and it's so much better, but I can't come but in you're and like keep trying. Yeah. And I do take over sometimes, but I, I yeah. try not to, especially the older that they get. I love that. Um, that prayer. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And just accepting yeah. that it's amazing. Just from a neurological point of view, the amygdala is the, the emotional part of our brain and it's, it's called the smoke detector. And so oh, if, you, I love if that. you simply say, I'm afraid, especially if like, I'm afraid because I don't know if I have enough time, it automatically like calms down your system because it's not like you're afraid because like somebody's like chasing you and going to kill you. A bear is coming. Yes. Yeah. So I love that just from a, from like a neurological point of view that. I'm afraid. I don't feel like I have enough time, but God, you're here and you're sufficient. So you're, we're doing so much in that little moment that we don't mm. even realize that God connected our, made our brain to be able to operate in health and well being through being connected with Him. It's so good because it takes the, it remi- reminds you of your safety. Like I'm safe yeah. I'm here. I'm okay right now. Yes, that's so beautiful. I know. I, I, I'm sure as a therapist, you marvel at the way the brain Mm -hmm. and God and like how we're created and what that, you know, it's amazing. It's so simple. I graduated grad school in 2007 or eight. I can't even remember. It doesn't matter. I I think think it was seven. And then we didn't even like even talk about the brain. Oh my gosh. Relatively short amount of time later, just the impact of just saying like, Hey, your brain is like freaking out right now. You're in like fight flight freeze fawn mode. And like, that's okay. Like, but you don't have to stay that way. And God wants us to be regulated, but we live Mm. so dysregulated. And Amy, what you're saying is as we feed on good stuff, it just brings regulation and health. Yes. Which is actually, if you talk about just dysregulated anxiety, I was really struck by the Greek word for anxiety, which Mm. is marineo, which Mm -hmm. means to be divided and torn up. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Yes, as if I'm in my kitchen doing dishes and here in one spot, but I'm divided and torn. I'm thinking about the future or I'm thinking about my kid and what he's doing at school right now that I have no control about. Like I'm in one spot, mm-hmm. but my mind is somewhere else. I'm divided. And then the word for peace is to bind up that which is divided, that Ooh, we would stay present. Yeah, Irene is that word piece to bind up. And so that's literally saying, God, keep me in my spot right here where my feet are. I have work to do right in front of me. But if I'm divided, I'm not going to be able to do the work. If I'm just thinking about my kid at school right now, I can't do the work you have for me in front of me. So I have to trust you with my kid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. And, I help, and I'm asking you to keep me integrated right here in your piece. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. So anxiety means to be divided. Yes. Peace means to bring together. Yes. If you're anxious, you, that peace is going to be so critical. And I love how the breath prayer 
as a simple way to bring that peace. So good, Amy. Where can we find you? Where can we get the book? Oh my gosh. I think the gram is fun when I don't get sucked down into the hole of hours. (laughs) I'm on Instagram. (laughs) Did you see the Super Bowl Um, commercial about the, the rabbit holes? There's a Super yes. Bowl commercial about that. Yes, yes, you're like that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Instagram, you can. I'm, uh, I have a website, amycipher.com, and and then Starved coming out is anywhere books are sold. You can pre-order now. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me this week on Thrive Mental Health and the Art of Living Free. Be sure to visit my website where you can subscribe to get the show notes. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. That way you never miss a show. While you're at it, help me out by adding some stars to the rating and tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week where we continue to help you to thrive in your life.